Amen. Well, I want to thank everyone for being here with us this morning, and we just want to welcome everyone tuning in live on YouTube, Facebook. Can we just put our hands together and welcome them in this morning? Happy you're here. This has been a series that has been uh, on my heart for some time. Last week, we looked at uh, the lie of lust, and as we go through this series, we're confronting different lies that we believe about love. Show of hands, who knows there's some myths, there's some fraud, there's some lies that can surround love in our relationships. Well, I believe, as the Bible says, the enemy is the father of lies. If he can get lies around love, which is the most powerful, really, gift that we see in 1 Corinthians 13, is the power, most powerful gift that you and I have. If the enemy can distort that and deceive us in it, then he can get us tangled up in things we wish we never were. So my heart is, as we take this next step, is that we look at another lie this morning that surrounds love, and that as we confront it, as we surrender it, that we're going to pick up a perfect love that we read in 1 Corinthians 13. Last week, we talked about we don't build our life on feelings, but we build our lives on facts. God gives us feelings, and we don't discount them, but many times our feelings can lead us to impure actions. God himself has feelings. We see in the Bible, he rests. He has, we see at times there's anger. We see his love, his compassion. We see that God has feelings, but they never lead him to impure actions. And so what we want to do this morning is we don't want to put our feelings to the side, but we want to rein them in and say, Holy Spirit, I don't want to be a spiritual giant in my walk and an emotional toddler. God cares just as much about our emotions and reining them in just as much he cares about your spirit. And so I believe we miss so much and we enter into conflict into our relationships that we wish we never would have because of disordered desires, because of broken emotions or broken feelings. And so I came across this story that we have been uh, watching a great docu-series. Anybody love a good docu-series? Uh, we look for them and we enjoy them. It's kind of what we like to watch. And there's a recent docu-series that uh, came, came out at the beginning of the year. Maybe some of you have seen it. it, it the title is McMillions. Anybody watched it? Okay, nobody's seen it. Well, now when you leave here, you can go and watch it. But it's this documentary, and in a nutshell, and this got me thinking about our topic this morning that I'm going to introduce to you, is that what happened is in this documentary, McMillions, is it was one of the largest uh, spots of fraud ever seen in modern America. And if you were like me, one of your favorite things to do uh, as a child was play the Monopoly game at McDonald's. Anybody ever play Monopoly? You cannot wait to go through the drive-thru, peel the tabs. Most of us, we weren't winning the million dollars, we were winning the free cheeseburger and fries, okay? <laughs> but there was nothing more exhilarating than getting in the car. And you would, what would you do? You would order a hash brown, even though you didn't want a hash brown, just to get the game stickers. It was brilliant marketing. And if you look at their numbers, McDonald's had record sales during the time they had the Monopoly game. Well, you've probably never heard of it, and I had never heard of it until I seen this documentary, but there was massive amount of fraud surrounding the Monopoly McDonald's game. And what happened was there was this, this fella by the name Uncle Jerry he went by. And the FBI in uh, the late 90s got a tip that this fellow by the name of Uncle Jerry was stealing million-dollar game pieces and selling them. Now, not to give the documentary away or anything, but what he, he did, he was a security guard for the marketing department that put together this game. 
and he had everything worked out on the inside when they would take the million dollar pieces. They actually went into circulation before he got his hands on them, but he would take them, put them in a, a baggie and pocket them. About four or five every year the game would happen. The game went from 1989 to 2000, so the game was around for a while. And what he would do is he would sell these million dollar pieces off to uh, a range of different connections and contacts he had. And again, this went unnoticed for over 10 years. No one had any idea that he was doing it. And in the documentary, you'll see that he, his conviction or his senses started to kick in. One year, he donated a million dollars anonymously to St. Jude's Hospital. So you could tell he began to feel guilty for what he was doing and then started getting sloppy, and that's how he uh, got caught. Now, the reason we really had never even heard about this story is because the day it made headlines and made news was September 10th, 2001. Now, what was the day that happened after that, the day that completely changed America and flooded the news? So the reason you never heard of it is because really the context and the timeline of when this happened. But this is just really a great documentary that kind of lays it all out. But what I was thinking is, is a game that you and I played thinking we had the chance to win a million dollars. Really, you and I had no chance to ever win that because the fraud, the lies, and the deception that was around that. Now, a parallel into what I want to talk to you about this morning is this topic is the lie of loneliness. And I believe the enemy wants to bring loneliness into the talk of love, into our relationships, to really rob us, to put fraud around ever experiencing real love. If he can keep you lonely, because loneliness goes beyond singleness, you can be lonely in a marriage. Marriage doesn't solve a loneliness problem. And so we get fed these lies in our culture that if you just do this, then you won't feel lonely anymore. And so I want to address this lie this morning and really dig in deep and confront areas of our lives where loneliness has taken root. My prayer for you this morning is, is as we address this, that you can step up out of maybe a season of depression you might find yourself in, maybe a season of loneliness that you're in, and that you can walk out of here not allowing loneliness to be a part of your story. Some t statistics here that we see as I was researching this, and this is really startling to me, but it says research has found that loneliness has the same impact on morality as smoking 15 cigarettes a day, making it even more dangerous than obesity. So I think we can see that if we don't address this topic of loneliness, that there is great danger even to our physical health. Other research says, and this is Gen Z, so anyone under the age of 25, the, the title given to this generation is the lonely generation. That's what researchers would call them. It says Gen Z spends less time with their friends face-to-face -face and more time online and on social media. I'm gonna pause there. Isn't it amazing that we're so connected, yet we feel so lonely? I think this is what we're experiencing in our culture due to social media. It says, as we know from decades of research, people who interact with others face-to-face -face are less likely to be lonely. Recent research suggests that those who spend more time on social media, in contrast, are more likely to be lonely. Again, we see loneliness in our culture. We see it rising, and we see a generation struggling in anxiety, struggling in depression, struggling in loneliness, and not knowing how to cope with it. Now, whenever I read statistics like this, I believe we as the church should be the forerunner on it, giving solutions and giving answers. 
And that's only found because, see, loneliness isn't just a status or a season in your life. It is a heart issue. And if you don't get down to the, the, the deep root or that heart issue of addressing loneliness, then you can truly never be set free. I want to share just for a moment before we, I really share a lie and a truth of how we're going to confront loneliness. But really, we have to look at our emotions. We need to understand our emotions. Scripture says this, one of my favorite scriptures. It says, beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. And so if we want to experience the blessings of God, if we want to see him move in our life, we need to know, and it's what you're investing your time into this morning, you are taking time to allow your soul to prosper. And see, we know that God works from the inside out. So as your soul's prospering, as you're connecting with Jesus, as you're spending time in the presence of God, as that is taking place, then what will begin to happen, it will begin to flesh out in your life and you'll begin to see a peace. You'll begin to see a calmness. You'll begin to see anxiety lessen. And see, one thing I've, I've come to find about anxiety too, I wanna say this, is that we're always gonna have problems in our life but it's usually not the problem that we're worried about, it's the anxiety around the problem of what is tomorrow gonna look like, what's my future gonna look like. And if you've experienced it, I've experienced this in my life, especially as a young adult, when you're about to graduate high school, the questions begin. I think we've all been there. The question begins of, well, where are you gonna go to college? Where are you gonna go to college? What are you gonna do when you go to college? And you start getting anxiety about your future. And then after you finally get into college and everyone's asking, well, when are you gonna get married? Are you gonna get that ring by spring? And constantly feeling this pressure, worrying about things that aren't even in your present. And after you get married and everyone's asking you, well, what kind of career, what's your job, what's lined up? And then after that, everyone's asking, well, you're married now, you got your career, then when are you gonna have kids? And then you have one kid and you think everyone's happy, then they're gonna ask again, well, when's number two coming? It's just this constant situation that comes around of, oh my gosh, if my life is not complete, if my life is not together, then I'm gonna get really anxious. I love you too, baby Ella. She's in the back. And so again, we see what scripture tells us. It says we, and I'm pulling out scripture because every time we see in scripture, just like last week, it said, beloved, I don't want you to be sexually impure that that's not my heart for you. My heart is you for your purity. And scripture is always so good to end it in this word beloved because he's saying it in a heart of love. So he's saying out of this place of I love you so much, don't believe the lie, you have to make sure your soul, you have to ask the question, how's my soul? Look what scripture says. And I think this is where we find ourselves. It says, listen and help me, O God. I think we've all prayed this before. I am reduced to a whine and a whimper obsessed with feelings of doomsday. So David gets it that in the human condition, in the human soul, when we find ourselves in this place of loneliness, we can be reduced to a whine and to a whimper, that we're not speaking right things, we're not walking things out, we're not taking advantage of the promises of God, but what do we find? Loneliness wants to isolate you and put you to this, in this place and reduce you to what? A whine and a whimper, obsessed with feelings of everything's just gonna implode, nothing's gonna work out for me, nothing's ever gonna come in line. It can be said this way, we can't navigate our lives if we are led by our emotions. Somebody say amen. We're not gonna navigate well 
if we allow our emotions to lead us. What does that look like? You're constantly feeling triggered. You always have your feelers out. You're always trying to sense, and you're just all caught up in your feelings that when you're left to make a decision, you implode because you are so emotional. And when you're so emotional, talking about social media, then what happens? You're, you're quick to send a text out you wish you never would have. You're quick to post something that you wish you never would. And so your emotions can get the best of you. Think about the times you've probably made a poor decision in your life. There was usually wrong, poor, weak emotions around that decision. Well, again, we want to be Christians, not just engaging in the Spirit, but also allowing the Holy Spirit to wash over our emotions. Two things that we need to know about our emotions, and we're going to get into these lies, is number one is this, is feelings come and go. Thank God feelings come and go. As quick as they hit you, as quickly they can leave. That's, again, why we don't want to be led by our emotions. I can remember so many times of, of feelings or like me, we have a, or like Bree and I in our home, we have a sign in our home that says, I apologize for the things I said when I was hangry. Now, it's amazing the emotions that come out when you were hangry. I can remember maybe just walking into home, I didn't have lunch and getting to the house and, and hungry, and I'm a little testy and a little edgy, but it's amazing how my entire emotional state changes when I get a drink of water and eat a couple chips. Like everything just changes right there. And so as quick as feelings come, we got to remember that they go. And that's why I love this scripture. It says, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. We want to be a church. We want to be a people that builds our lives on what is everlasting. We don't want to build it on the temporary because the Bible reminds us time and time again, the grass is going to fade, the flower is going to wither, but the word of God stands forever. So when you choose to build your life on the word of God, you are saying, I'm planting myself in something that is everlasting, not in something that just feels good, a feel-good Christianity, a feel-good faith. I show up when I feel like it. When I don't feel like it, I stay in bed. We don't base ourselves off of feelings. I can tell you half the room, if you went by what you felt like this morning, you probably wouldn't be in church. But you made a decision is, I'm going to get up, I'm going to show up, and I'm going to believe God's got a word for me this morning. So as quickly as feelings come, as quickly as they will go. Secondly, is this, is there's always sensibility with sobriety. There's always sensibility with sobriety. A Bible story I think about is Jacob and Esau. We see this, that Esau was emotionally hangry. Esau shows up, he hadn't eaten for days. And what does the Bible say? It says that he was so in a, in a place of being so depleted, so exhausted, so hungry, that he sold his birthright, he sold his destiny and his legacy for a cup of soup to his brother Jacob. And so think about it in the realm of emotions. How many times in a moment of passion, a moment of anger, a moment of being riled up, a moment of maybe feeling so depressed, how many times do we sell our future for feeling good in the moment, getting it off our chest, expressing how we feel, just getting it out, letting that person know what we really think? I think like Jacob and Esau, in those moments, if we're not careful in building our lives on the word of God, and just because I feel it doesn't mean I have to say it, I think I'm preaching to somebody there this morning. If not, I'm preaching to myself. But we have to understand that there's always sensibility with sobriety, that we don't want to be so drunk on emotions. We don't want to be so drunk on just what we feel all the time, 
but we are living sober-minded in everything we do. Practically speaking, this is why the Bible says don't get drunk, because if you're drunk, you are not in your right mind, that we don't want to be a people that gives up our right mind for our feelings or to be in a sort of state where we can't be sober. So if you're taking notes, write that down. There's always sensibility in sobriety. Bible story I want to get to this morning, we see in the word of God, 1 Kings 19, 9 through 13, we see a spiritual giant, but we find that he was an emotional toddler in this moment, that his emotions got the best of him. Now, as a spirit-filled church, we know that emotions just aren't the end-all, be-all, that, oh, I felt this way, so that's why I did it. We know that there's always evil spirits at work as well. Say amen to that. We know that we are to fight in the spirit. And the enemy, yes, he will trigger your emotions to get you to react and act out. But we also know the Bible is very clear, especially in the story we're about to read, that there are certain spirits that manifest themselves in certain ways. What we're going to see is the spiritual giant, Elijah. And to give you some context, Elijah, in this part of the scripture, he just experienced a great feat. He called uh, down fire on the, on the uh, prophets of Baal, and their prophets were swallowed up, and his God, the, our God, Jehovah, showed true. And what's so cool about it, if you go and read 1 Kings 18 and 19, you'll see that Elijah was so confident in his God, so feeling that God was going to show up, his faith had been tested prior, that he even went to a place of trash-talking his opponents. He's saying, your God ain't going to show up. Who do you think you are lining up against my God, the God of Israel? And so we see that this just had taken place. And here's the spirit I want to address for a moment, and I'm going to actually as the months go on, get into this spirit deeper as well as some other ones that we fight and need to be aware of. But we see Jezebel was one of Elijah's great opponents and that for some reason, he feared Jezebel in a very real way. And so after this had happened, Jezebel had caught wind and she had sent a group text out or sent a word out (laughs) that she wanted Elijah dead. And so Elijah, out of fear, He runs, he goes, and he hides. And this is where scripture picks up. And here's what it says. Or let's read this first. Loneliness sets you up for the, uh, yeah, this is what we need to know about Jezebel before we get into it. I put these down. Loneliness sets you up for a Jezebel spirit to release witchcraft against your mind and emotions. So the reason Elijah ran, this was what Jezebel's main plot and main attempt is. This is what we read as you research who Jezebel was is she takes advantage of your weak emotional state and then can release witchcraft against your mind and your emotions. Also, Jezebel's witchcraft releases confusion. Maybe you've been here before, and and this is a good sign that you've been underneath a Jezebel spirit. Jezebel's witchcraft releases confusion, loss of personal identity, and emotional dullness, the dullness that is similar to a drunken stupor. So when you read 1 Kings 19, you can really pick up that this was the spirit that was affecting and hurting Elijah. Look what scripture says. It says, so as this happened, as Jezebel sent this this word out, I want him dead. It says that he was fearful and that he went into a cave and he spent the night. The Lord appears to Elijah and the word of the Lord came to him. That's how good God is. He says, what in the world are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing? 
Verse 10, he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. See this right here because you'll see, one, he's feeling very lonely and he's feeling very isolated because now it becomes all about him and how he feels and what's going on with him. Look what it says. You see these words, I, not we, not I'm, the, I'm a leader of a great tribe, I'm, I'm, I'm the prophet of my people. It's just I am the only one left and now they are trying to kill me too. Verse 11, the Lord said, God, go out and stand on the mountains in the presence of the Lord. So he's saying, okay, that's all good and well, but I'm about to pass by. So what are you doing here? You're about to miss a moment with me. And if we, don't, if we aren't careful, Jezebel, the spirit of Jezebel can so keep us confused, can keep us in a stupor, can keep us in a spirit, in a season of loneliness that we miss what God is wanting to do. This is what was happening with Elijah. And so, what we see, and it goes on to say and, and all the, how God came and passed by, and then the word of the Lord came to him a second time again and said, Elijah, what are you doing here? And what I want to submit to you this morning, based off this text and based off this question of what are you doing here, Elijah, I believe God would say the same thing to you and I when we, found our, when we find ourselves running from God, hiding from God. We, we sang Reckless Love this morning, and there's a lyric in this song that says, there's no lie you won't tear down. That God is a God who tears down lies. And so God, I can tell you, was trying to get in back to Elijah and say, hey, you're falling prey to Jezebel's confusion. You're forgetting who you are, and you are so emotionally dull and so emotionally weak. You're missing out what I'm about to do in your life. And so what, again, what I want to submit to you this morning, and if you can hear God saying to you, is he's saying, what are you doing? I've made you for more. I've called you to something greater. You have a destiny. You have a future. Get up and get out of your loneliness. Get up and get out of your depression. Get up and get out of your anxiety because I am the God who is bigger and greater than all of that. I am the way maker, the promise keeper, your light and the darkness. Get the heck out of the cave because I'm about to pass by. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss the presence of God because I'm hiding in a cave because a spirit has motivated me and see, Elijah, again, this spiritual giant, one who should be able to pick up, okay, this is what Jezebel's doing, he missed out on it because of fear, because of his emotional state. And so several lies I want to confront about loneliness, and I believe this is going to bring freedom to us this morning. Several lies I want to confront to get you out of this place of loneliness, out of this headspace, get out of your head, get out from what you're listening to yourself, start speaking right things to yourself is this. And maybe you've heard this before in your season of loneliness. The lie is friends can fix my loneliness. Anybody ever heard that one before? You just need to get more friends. You need to get social. You need to get around people. That's good. But I would go a step deeper. And really the truth is the right friends can help me fight loneliness. Last week when we talked about the lie of lust, what we discussed was is friends aren't meant to fulfill us. I think many times we run to friends and people to fulfill a need that only God can. And if we're not careful, we begin to put our hope, we begin to put um, our emotional state in the hands of someone other than God. And so the lie is just get around friends, get around people. But I would submit to you this morning is the right people, the right church, 
the right Christians, the right people who can speak truth into your life. We see this in the life of Jonah, what we went through, is that he ran to a ship crew and didn't run to other prophets. He didn't run to other people of God. He knew that the ship crew would do what he needed to do. See, many times in our loneliness, we run to the people that will pat us on the back, that will tell you, oh, I'm so sorry. And what even begins to happen is they begin to pick up your own offense and they get on with you, not sharpening you because relationships aren't ultimately meant to fulfill us. They're meant to sharpen us. So if, so, if the, the people you're going to aren't sharpening you, aren't telling you, hey, maybe there's a spirit of Jezebel at work, let's get together, let's pray this thing, let's, let's begin to fight against your loneliness, and let's get to the root of what you're going through. I'm telling you, that's where we see the game changer in our relationship. Scripture says this in Hebrews, it says, see to it, brothers and sisters, it's talking to you and I, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. This is God's heart, this is his will for us. But encourage, everyone say encourage. encourage. This is what the role you and I are to play. But encourage one another daily. Not every Sunday. You should have people, or you should have the right sermons. You, you can go and rewatch sermons from our church on YouTube, or get the right podcast, get the right word in your, in your mind, because you need to be encouraged daily as long as it is called today. Why? So that none of you be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. The word of God's so clear that if we aren't encouraging each other, what your natural bend will be is to get a hard heart, to get offended at God, to get offended at someone at church. You get offended, you leave the church, you try to find somewhere else, you think the grass is greener on the other side. When the word of God always teaches and says that your grass is gonna be as green as you water it. It's not gonna be green over there, it's how are you watering the grass you're on now? And if we're not taking care of ourselves emotionally, if we're not keeping ourselves healthy, if we're not encouraging one another, even in a hardened season, maybe you know someone or a friend that is hardened by sin's deceitfulness or has picked up an offense. Maybe you're the friend or the person that can go and say, hey, I wanna encourage you on this. I love this proverb. It says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. You got any friends that are willing to wound you? push past maybe offending you. I know I wouldn't be here today if I had the right leaders, the right mentors, the right friends that weren't afraid to tell me hard truth, that weren't afraid to grab me and say, Garrett, what are you doing? You're made for more. There's, there's something more at work here. So I pray that you have people in your life that can tell you like it is, that aren't just patting you on the back because it's saying, if you just have a group of people around you that are just telling you what you wanna hear, that are just yes people all the time, you're gonna find yourself in a place of being deceived. And I think a lot of people find themselves in this place. So we wanna be friends and we wanna have friends that aren't afraid to share truth and love. Proverbs says this, next lie is this, or, or this main point, write this down. Being unknown will make you feel alone. Being unknown will make you feel alone. That's why it's so important we're faithful to church, we're connecting with other believers because if we don't know each other, if we don't know what, the person next to us is going through, if we don't have an idea of maybe they just lost a loved one, but they're walking into church and have a big smile on their face and we're just going on as business as usual, then that person is not known. Therefore, they feel alone. We would never know it. And then they're gonna be in this place of feeling unknown. That's why I wanna encourage you. I know relationships are risky. I know that there's times in our lives when we don't wanna reach out, we don't wanna step out. 
But my prayer is, is that the pastors of this church that I can speak on behalf of can be a safe place for you to go to when you feel alone, when you feel like you aren't known, but you can have the right voices and the right friends around you. It's such a truth. Being unknown will make you feel alone. Second lie is this. Maybe you've experienced this or you thought this or the myth, but marriage can fix your loneliness. See, the lie we want to believe is if I can just get married, then everything will get better. These desires will go away. The lust will go away. If I can just get married, then I won't be lonely. I'll, I'll have someone else in the bed with me. Everything will be good. I'll have someone else around me. But again, loneliness is not just a status. Loneliness fixes your singleness, like I said here. Marriage will address your singleness, but it won't address your loneliness. So it takes you from a place of, yeah, you're not single anymore, but it's not the end-all be-all to cure your loneliness. And if I can say this this morning, and you know, I've, I've counseled and I've talked and, 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 and heard all different stories of marriage, just being in this world, is if you're not careful, and this is what my parents always instilled in me, the two biggest decisions you'll ever make in your life is one, the day you call Jesus the Lord of your life, and two, who you marry. I think we can all agree those are probably some of the two biggest decisions that we make in our life. And on the lines of who we marry, when we think about it doesn't address our loneliness, what will happen, and I've seen this played out before, is what will happen is you thought you were lonely in your singleness, but if you pick the wrong person because you're desperate and you start to settle, then what you think would fulfill you actually amplifies the feelings of loneliness in your life. It's crazy, but it's the lie that the enemy wants us to buy. Don't work on yourself, don't fix yourself, just find the right person, everyone else is getting married, you go get married, settle. And see, it's the same truth is this. It's just like you never go to Kroger or Costco or Sam's when you are hungry. You never go dating when you are desperate because you make mistakes. Anybody ever been there before? When you go to Kroger hungry, you spend more money and you buy things you know you never need. The thing is when, if you're in this place of singleness, do not date out of desperation. Date out of a place of knowing your whole, knowing your worth, knowing who you are. The other lie and I want to invite the worship team up this morning, is the lie, accepting Christ will fix my loneliness. That sounds good, but the way I would say it is the truth, following Christ is how we battle loneliness. One, loneliness is a battle. And two, accepting is great, but following is where the power's at. And so I would say it this way, is several months ago, Bree and I joined a gym. Thank you. We were those people. <laughs> And I'm here to submit to you this morning. I have not been to the gym once since we've joined it. <laughs> they had a couple's discount. You only have to pay one set of annual fees. It sounded good. The guy on the phone sold, sold, sold us on this, that, hey, this is the great time to buy. We made all these renovations, the pool, the walking track, all of this. Now, Brie has been more disciplined than I have. She's been, she's gone. She's been with some friends. She's going in the evenings when I get home. She's doing great but I've never been. Now, I can get really frustrated that I've seen no results because, you know, I, I bought this membership, but nothing's happened because I bought it. See, there's a difference between accepting or agreeing, say, I, I accept this membership, but it's one thing when you never take advantage of it. And so the advantage is in the following. 
that if you just say, yeah, Jesus is Lord of my life, but you're not taking advantage of the scripture to combat loneliness, you're not taking advantage of showing up to the house of God that he's provided for you, you're not taking advantage of connecting with other uh, Christian believers and friends, if you're not taking advantage, you will never be able to battle loneliness. The blessing's not in the knowing, the blessing's in the doing. I want to leave with this quickly and then we're going to take a moment just to worship is taking advantage in your walk looks like this one it's confessing and repenting sin that this is the stream we're to live in that sin we know creates a gap creates a barrier creates a chasm between you and God that if we're not in this place of getting what's in us out getting the junk out getting the sin out if we're not confessing the sin in our life and we're not repenting, then things are just gonna get clogged up and the real issues are never gonna be addressed. I pray that it is a practice in your life that you are confessing every morning. I'm, I apologize, Lord, I'm sorry, Lord, forgive me of the sin, forgive me for that attitude, forgive me for that motive. Number two is constant communication with God. You gotta have a prayer life. You gotta be in constant communication. You gotta be praying, you gotta be seeking him. And number three, it's trusting and obeying. Again, the blessings not in the knowing. The blessing is in the doing. I want to encourage you with this this morning. Romans 12, 2. We've heard this scripture a million times, but there's so much power in it. I want you to see it this way. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. So don't conform to what the world says, how we're to combat loneliness, how we're to combat the issues in our life. That's not how we deal with things. That's not how we go about it. But it says we've gotta be transformed that there has to be a renewing taking place of your mind. Then you will be able to test. Everyone say test. Yes. And approve, say approve. What is God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Anytime I see test in the Bible, just like you see in Malachi, it says test me and try me in this with the tithe. We see this word in Romans 12 too as well, this word test and approve. So what God is saying is that if you'll take my way, what I say, what God's word says about sexual purity, what it says about relationships, what it says about marriage, if you will test me and approve me in this, try me in this, the outcome is going to be amazing for you. Because what's going to happen on the inside of you is you're going to know that you're in his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. So anytime you see where God says, test me in this, on the other side of it, you're not gonna have buyer's remorse saying, what in the world did I do? Why did I test God in this? He let me down. Now I wanna submit to you, many times we give up way too soon and way too early. You try God for three days and say, where's my blessing or where's my man, where's my woman? But it has to be a faithful, consistent walk of you testing and approving God's will. And when you do, the blessing is it will be good for you. It will be pleasing, it will be fulfilling and it will be perfect. God wants you to put him to the test this morning. I want you to stand to your feet. I want to pray for you. Hebrews 13.5 says this. It says, keep your lives free from the love of money or free from the love of the things of this world and be content with what you have because God says he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. Last point I wanna leave with you is that through this series, the way, just practically speaking, you're gonna combat the loneliness in your life 
is you have to make sure you're knowing God and that you're being known. So you're taking time to say, God, I wanna know your heart. I wanna know what you think about me. I wanna know what you feel about me. You are a loving father. What does that look like? What does my relationship with you look like? I wanna be known. I wanna know you. And then ultimately it's being known. So as that, that happens, I wanna know God. You're gonna have a sense of you know him and that he knows you. First Peter 5, 7 says, cast every care, cast your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. God cares about the little things as much as he does about the big things. He just wants you to be in communication with him. He's that jealous for you to talk with him. In prayer, what happens is when we pray, it doesn't necessarily change God, God's heart, but what it does is change is your heart and aligns your heart with his heart and, and his will. Your heart becomes connected to his, and then you begin to see his pleasing, his perfect, his goodwill in your life. So it's being known, it's to know and be known, and then I would encourage you, if someone in this church doesn't know you, doesn't know what you're going through, that you would take the step to really get to know the people that you're sitting next to, that you would make commitments to show up to the men's, the women's Bible studies, that you would make commitments to be in church every Sunday as much as you can. Because in that place, you're, other people are gonna get to know you. And when they know you, they're there for you. They're speaking right things into your life. And so I asked the worship team to do this song. And the song is called, I Am Not Alone. And what I wanna do as we're singing this is I want you to picture your loneliness and the word of God coming to it, the spirit of God coming to it and beginning to crush it, beginning to move it aside, beginning to confront the lie of loneliness. Does that sound like a good plan this morning? We wanna confront the lie of loneliness because at some point in our lives we've been there or we're gonna be there if we don't address it and stay proactive. If you bow your head, I wanna pray. Father, we thank you this morning that you give us great grace, that Jesus paid it all this morning, and that when we connect with you, anxiety has to leave, feelings of loneliness have to leave, that our emotions go to the rightful place where we're not led by them, but we're led by the truth. We're led by facts, not feelings. God, I pray any disordered emotions that are present in our lives this morning, as we worship you, that they would begin to get in order because you are a God of order and you wanna bring our lives into order because when we test you and try you in the order you've laid out, it will be good, pleasing, and perfect. It will be pleasing your heart. So God, as we declare this truth this morning, we pray against the spirit of Jezebel who wants to bring witchcraft into our lives, who wants to take advantage of weak emotions and weak situations, who wants to uh, begin to speak lies of, of you're not good enough or God's not gonna show up for you. God's not gonna come through on his promises. So Father, this morning, we thank you that there is power when we worship. There is power in right thinking. There is power in right theology. So God, we surrender our loneliness to you. We surrender the lies, the fraud, the conspiracies we believed about love. We continue to put lust, lust out of our life. And we thank you, Father, that when we get in line with your word, then we see you move. Then we see the blessing come. So God, let this be a moment where we confront our loneliness. In Jesus' name, amen.